Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear, don't cause a fuss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes! 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 Anyone fancy a pint? Suit you, sir. Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam. I said I don't want any damn vegetables. Lentils are really good, you know? Mmm, forbidden donut. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the afternoon here on Free Triple RFM. It is the afternoon, midday. I know our body clock's still trying to adjust. I hope you used that extra hour for something good, or maybe just slept in. Anyway, Matt Stedman here with you. Uh, flying solo on Eat It today, my usual partner in crime, Cameron Smith, is down at the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Um, and you can join him if you've got the afternoon free. Uh, he's down there hosting an event at the Queen Victoria Market called The Big Spaghetti. Um, plenty of pasta on offer and uh, a few well-known chefs, I think, on stage that he's hosting. So um, get on down if you've got nothing else to do for the afternoon. But that does leave me flying solo here in my little East Brunswick container, also known as the Triple R Studio. But we've got a really good show for you anyway. Um, we've reached back to the rear of the freezer and we've looked back at a time sort of pre-COVID, pre-war Maybe back in a precedented time, and we've got three really excellent interviews for you today. First up, we're going to speak to a chef called Alberto Fava from the restaurant Tipo OO there on Little Burke Street. Uh, excellent pastas, excellent Italian fare, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about how do you match your pasta with your sauce? What are the fundamentals? What are the basics and what are the things we might be getting wrong? Or maybe we're getting it right and you can feel smug. Uh, so we'll speak to Alberto in just one moment. Uh, after that, an area of cookery we don't often explore, perhaps to our detriment, is, uh, is literally what we eat the food off, the plates, the ceramics. And a couple of years ago, we spoke to Sam Gordon from Rod, Robert Gordon Ceramics uh, about exactly that. If you're sitting there in a restaurant enjoying an amazing meal, uh, how do those plates get there and how do they design them and what thought goes into ceramic design perhaps not something you've ever considered before it's a really interesting chat do stay tuned and then finally one of our favorites here on three triple r fm on eat it good friend of the show raymond capaldi who many years ago was a bit of a super chef around town a bit of a leader in the culinary field um very influential chef and in the most recent years or most recent phase of his career he's turned his attention to the humble pie and we speak about him and his brand wonder pies and what actually makes a good pie? Because there's a bit more to it than just some mince and onion, as you might be aware. So uh, Cam, a couple of years ago, actually went up the road to the Wonder Pies factory there, what was in Bulleen uh, back in the day, uh, and had a good chat to Raymond about his philosophy um, and the product. And I think you'll, you'll enjoy hearing about it today. Uh, that's the show. I'm going to press on because uh, I don't have much time. So uh, we'll listen to a couple of sponsorship announcements. And then we'll be back with Alberto Fava from Tipo OO straight after this. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. And it is my absolute delight um, for to inv- well to just thank our guest for coming in because it was at very, very short notice. I think I rang you on Friday to say... Actually, I think you bought... Who? Luco rang. Luke, Luke. Yeah. yeah. And said, guess what? You're going on the radio. Yeah. Was that sort of it? <laughs> yeah, he was. Okay. That was asking uh, me. Alberto Fava from uh, Tipo Double O. And um, we thought we'd have a chat to you about, or just talking about how to decipher the rules of pasta. There is no really a, a precise rule. Oh, come like... on. What are you talking about? <laughs> an Italian going, oh, you can do exactly what you want. No, 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 not exactly. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, no, no. My fingers not. come up to you. I've gone nonna with you already. <laughs> no, this is this general that I think is kind of right. This is the general uh, rule yes. that um, if you got this uh, strong shapes, um, like 
like thick pasta and strong like like a rigatoni or a penne or a, a bucatino is generally speaking goes with with um, a meat sauce or, 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 or rich sauces they they so the shape of pasta it can hold uh, really well the sauce mm-hmm. and and um, and it make the dish very good when you have something uh, thinner like like a farfalle or a fusilli um it goes really well normally with um uh, with vegetables, yes. Well, some some zucchini, light olive oil, very summery. Mm, can I stop just there? First sure. of all, maybe um, just to help people get their heads around this this flat pasta, which you cut into noodles, and then we have extruded pasta, which is pushed through True. into a shape. That's probably the the first thing to say the difference between the, the, pastas. Yeah, exactly. And then if we go another thing, we talk about dried pasta. And fresh pasta. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Um, so norm- normally the extrude pasta is, is, um, is no egg pasta. It's just made with the, um, with the durum semolina normally oh, and water only. There is no, no eggs. No, uvo. The, no, no, the extruded pasta, that's why it's dry. Yes. And it, that was the, the start of it. It was for the poor, no eggs. Yes. And then when the eggs and a bit more money it was in, in the country, they started to add the eggs and that's where the fresh pasta arrived. Yeah, I suppose, because those eggs don't grow on trees, do they? <laughs> no, sorry, that's no. a bad joke. Um, yeah, so, but, so il, the, il, il, il pasta de povero, the, the, the poor man's pasta is the one without the eggs, as you say. That's yeah, without the eggs, or even, or even before, like, no, the dry, so the difference between the, the dry pasta that you buy at the supermarket, that's the extruded pasta, mm. and then you can make fresh pasta. But you can make fresh pasta with or without eggs. Mm. Uh, there is some shape, like the orecchiette, from Puglia, that's, now, that's now, only... What, now, we, we have to, what is uh, the shape of the orecchetti? The shape is, is like, look, a li- li- little ear. Little ears. It's like a little thing with a little indentation yeah, exactly to take right. in the, the food. The sauce, yeah, yeah. it'll be. Or maybe peas and or maybe... A well, the classic, that, that, that's a classic. There is some shape of pasta in Italy that they, they, they go with each other with the sauce and you cannot change those. Like in Puglia, you have the orecchiette with the cime di rapa. Mm-hmm. In 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 Genova, what's cime di rapa? Cime di rapa is this. It is like they call it here like broccoli ripe, yes. something like that. Yeah, it's like like yeah. this green vegetable. Yeah, and uh, it's very tasty. A little bit bitter. It goes very well with anchovy. Normally they do with anchovy and cime di rapa. It's a very the classical. Mm-hmm. Or you have the the bucatini alla matriciana when you go down to Lazio region. Yes. You got the trofie pesto uh, in Genova up north. So there is. Ten pasta in Italy that you cannot really change the shape. You or, or like where I come from, we, we have the tagliatelle bolognese. Where are ragu. you from? From uh, Ferrara. It's very close to Bologna. So you're from? Uh, you say Ferrari? Ferrara. Oh Ferrara. Ferrara. <laughs> I didn't think you came from Modena. Um, so so what's the area called? Ferrara. Ferrara is the city. Oh, okay. And, uh, city. Did you say it was e- Emilia Romagna? In Emilia Romagna. And what dishes? Uh, whereabouts is that? First of all, in relation to the is is north say, south? Uh, is uh, north of Bologna, in between between Venice and Florence. Ah, okay. good, good area. Yeah, very good. Area. Okay, yeah. okay. And what's and so what's what's the no, dish no, that's famous in, for that? In, 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 no, I'm even in Bologna because I'm a half Bolognese. My father is from Bologna. Mm. Is there is the the classic is the tagliatelle ragu with the bolognese. So you don't go there and ask a spark ball. <laughs> they, will, they will shoot you in the yeah, knees. Yeah, my god, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you're gonna look pretty funny trying to so, eat that yeah. with no no teeth. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of getting so now that my point was that in Italy there is this this. Um, Unequivocalness. Yeah, yes. like you can't joke around with those dishes from those regions. Don't miss. Yeah, it's a mess. Don't miss. <laughs> Otherwise, you have to wear an orthopedic shirt. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, um, first, uh, just to, um, to bring it back, Matt, you had a question about supermarkets and pasta. Well, I guess I was trying to get at, is there any validity in the pasta you can find from a supermarket? Or do you have to go to a deli to get something that is worthy of your plate? I think you have to go to a deli. I think... Uh, Why? Yeah, because the quality of the, the actual pasta, of the quality of the, of the semolina, of the, the durum wheat semolina that you buy, it, it makes the difference. Like the thickness, like... Uh, 
the very commercial one normally they they if you touch them they're very smooth they 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 don't hold the sauce they're a little bit yellow well, let's they, let's work on that a bit because mm. that is very impressive uh, uh, Im- important because you see the the pasta and the first thing you see when you notice and you can run your finger over the pasta and that will tell you something exactly that is not being through a, a, a bronze extruder for example yes when when the pasta comes through a bronze extruder it gets the the the, the feel it's like it's, these little hooks yeah exactly and these little hooks are the things that the sauce can stick onto yeah yeah and that's very, very important. And also nowadays that we, we consume a lot of pasta, a lot of everything, food in general, mm. it's good to know if it's a good grain, you know, kind of where it came from and, 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 and it's, it's been, you know, it's like not being mass produced yep. in, in a way. So I always say, I always go to the Daily Five to buy my pasta at home and mm-hmm. it's probably double, if not triple the price than, than pasta you find in supermarket. But it's worth the, the, the price, and I think you don't have to eat kilos and kilos a day. You can have a little bit less, but very good quality. But very good quality. How far should you cook dried pasta? And normally they tell you on the packet nowadays, and yeah. it depends on your taste as well, because some people, that they, they, they prefer a little bit more al dente, some people a little bit more cooked. Always, obviously, not, not overcooked, but if you stick on what they says on the packet mm. is, is is pretty good <clears throat> al dente pasta they say um is better for your digestion it digests better than if you cook it longer is that true yeah i don't know okay <laughs> um uh, i'll just I'll, I'll put something else to bed um the fact i don't think any of you out there triple r listeners would do this but maybe there's a few that still do should you put olive oil or oil into the water as you cook it? No, no. The, the water needs to be, like, plentiful mm. and uh, boiling uh, rapidly just before you put it in and uh, a little bit of salt, but not too much salt. Not too much? No, definitely not too much. Oh, you can okay. taste your water. You put a little bit of salt in and you taste it. It's, it's kind of to taste like like... Like seawater, maybe a little bit less, even. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just, just to give not the blendness, so the pasta doesn't get washed in there. And uh, and you just drop your pasta in there, full, full fire. Full and boil. then when when it comes to the boil again, you just maybe turn it down a little bit, and it just simmer gently without going too crazy. No, not too crazy. No, not too okay. crazy. There we go. Learn something. Matt's going. Hmm. Yeah, because okay. the pasta is dry. You want to. Um, Release? I, no, no, but no. more than release, you want to hydrate the pasta. Yes. It's been dry for so oh. long, so you want to you put the water back into it and make slowly, it gently, slowly, kind of not, gently. Not too forceful. But it still needs to boil, though. No, 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 like still, still not boiling water. Yes. Like you want it, you want it boiling. Yes. Okay, now, in, in regard to um, flat noodles, okay, we, so we've got, okay, so we've got linguine. Skinny, yeah. fettuccine, a bit bigger, and then papadelle, probably yeah. double the size of that. Yeah, true. Now, these three things—they're pretty much the same. They're a flat noodle, but they're yeah, just but they're different the in same. sizes. Sorry, that because the papardelle <laughs> and the fettuccine—they're normally made with eggs. Ah, and the linguine no is 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 a dry pasta. It's an extruded pasta. It's yes. like a spaghetti. So spaghetti linguine on the same leg. Mm. Fettuccine Papardelle in this different league and they're together. So yes. two different leagues. Yes. So normally for seafood, you know, spaghetti, linguine is very good with seafood, with vongole, with clams. Because of their small shape, they release a little bit extra mm. starch and it makes and it helps when you... When, so normally with, with this long pasta, you... You take it off the water just just a little bit more al dente, and you and you finish to cook in the pan with your seafood, and it makes the creaminess. It gives. It's like yes. doing the alla olio, where you put in the pasta water, which emulsifies. Exactly, you yeah. make it like a little emulsification. Exactly, exactly. That's why because it's so long and thin, and it's got more more surface. Yes. So it releases more 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 starch. More starch going in there. So, is there a way to say what the Sort of just an easy rule for what goes with what. You said that the. I, I said at the start that my, my rule, if, if you someone wants to kind of 
put set a rule, say the thicker, stronger shape of pasta, they normally go with a heavier ragu like a carbonara. Um, um, penne, it goes with a nice lamb ragu, rigatoni with, with bolognese, like something heavy. If you want something uh, seafood, is, you know, spaghetti. Keep it a little bit finer. Keep it a little bit fine, a little bit more fragile pasta yeah. with, with light sauce, you know. You can't... Mm. It's, um, it's like angel hair with egg, crab angel. meat, for instance. So very, exactly, very fine exactly. and beautiful. Exactly. So you, you, that's the general rule, you know. Okay. Well, that's a start. Well, maybe we we might have to get you back, and we might uh, take a, another stage. I think if someone on this time of the year, um, on a Sunday afternoon, if you wanted a a plate of pasta and you think you can just have a plate of pasta, boom, there we go. Served to you. Get you a little glass of vino too. What would you have? Have you got a favourite? Uh, I really like the, with clams. I was saying before, like vongole. with vongole, yes. So a little, vongole. little bit of tomato. Uh, no, no, even white. I, I like oh, it. Why? Why? Garlic, chili, fresh parsley, really good quality olive oil. Mm. Don't be shy. No. Al dente, yeah. beautiful fresh vongole. Mm. Toss it through. Bit of white wine. A little bit of bread on the side yeah. to just keep it going. Okay. Well, we might have to leave it there. Alberto, thank you for uh, just coming in and it was um, a pleasure. Uh, filling us in on those rules. Thank good you. To, thank good, you for good to meet me. you and congratulations on, uh, on Tipo still doing amazing food. Is there another place opening up soon? Yeah, no, we, we just opened next next door. It's okay. called Osteria Ilaria. Yeah, it's been it's been open for, for a few months now. Mm. Yeah, it's going very well. Very happy with it as well. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's smiling there and you yeah. see it when they come in, huh? <laughs> Thanks, Alberto. Thank you. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Sam Gordon, how are you? Oh, thank you, Cam. Yeah, I'm really well. Thanks for having me. Your father started uh, this this business, this this pottery business, and, and I was saying to Matt um, that you know we've been doing this show for a, a little while now. We've talked a lot about the food uh, that goes onto plates. Uh, we've talked about all manner of things that reside on plates, but we've actually never talked to anyone about the plate itself. And yeah, when we we think of sorry, mate, I was no, going to say the, no, the, the plate is almost like the frame for the food and uh, you've made your life uh, pottery and following in your dad's footsteps so maybe just to get us this thing kicking along maybe we have a chat about your dad first Robert Gordon how did he get involved in making those plates that frame the food yeah oh, thanks Cam so it, it goes back a, a bit further than um, just that so we're three generations of potters. Oh, three generations. Yeah. Oh, yep. okay. Yep. So, um, my grandparents uh, had a had a, a pottery called Dyson Studios, and that was out of um, Black Rock, so Bayside during the nineties. 90- Why that's in Black Rock? I'm not quite sure, but oh, okay. I was, you know, no, I'm just is... saying that because I used yep. to live in Bo Morris. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, I'm Bowie boy, so yeah, I was going oh, Black Rock. Yeah, yep. okay. So it started in in, in, in Black Rock yep. in, in, a, in a house in Black Rock, and then during the 1940s and. It's funny enough because they actually supplied the original Florentino, so way back then. So no. yeah, yeah. So it was nice to have Guy in. And if you look at the back of Guy's plates now, it says um, proudly supplying Florentino since nineteen um, forty. So yeah, wow. yeah. So that's a nice story. And then they um, they moved the pottery up to a little town in the Yarra Valley um, called Jembrook. Yes, um, and that's where it was. Uh, right up until the 80s and so dad worked with his parents in Dyson Studios and then left and started Robert Gordon in late 70s um, with mum and yeah started selling to St Kilda Market and wholesaling and things like that and it grew really quickly um, during the late 80s and early 90s to having 100 staff. Um, 100 staff? Yeah making pots which was amazing when You'd see, you know, 15, wow. 15 throwers on a wheel throwing pots and things like that. Those days, are, are, you know, are, have gone so much, but we're, we're a little bit more automated and, and things like that. We have about 40 staff now making pots. Um, and There's it, still heaps of people doing yeah. all, all crafting the, yeah. the sort of stuff. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they take a plate for granted in the, in the fact that it's just a flat surface that you whack some food on and there you go and you try not to drop it and break it, otherwise mum gets upset. Um, but... The processes involved to get from a lump of clay to a finished 
overglazed plate is quite something. Can can you just give us a, the the listeners an idea of what goes into making a plate? Okay, so the. The raw material was mined in a little town called Gulgong in northern New South Wales outside uh, Newcastle. Yep. And so the raw mud clay is, and, and then it's brought down to Victoria to a, um, probably Australia's largest processor called Clayworks, who we've been using for 35 years. And yeah. they'll, they'll add other minerals and things like that to make it into clay. Yes. Comes out to us, and then depending on the way we're forming it, whether it's a, a plate or a platter or a mug or a cup, depends yes. which way we, we manufacture it. Um, it passes through, I think, about 20, 20 people's hands in our factory by the time it's pressed, fettled, which is sponged, loaded onto a bisque kiln, bisque-fired. Whoa, what's bisque? So bisque-firing is um, the first firing of a, of a ceramic pot, which it takes away the impurities, um, any organic matter which will burn out, so, um, yep. which would cause a pinhole in the, in the clay later. So mm. you want a nice glazed surface. It's fired at 1,000 degrees um, at bisque. And then you Celsius. Glaze. Thousand degrees Celsius. Yes. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. And then it's gloss fired at twelve hundred and forty. So you got to okay. So here we go. We've just we've whacked it in the kiln for that firing, and then it's got to come out. Yes. It's already had a couple of things, and also you know the clay's got to be right. It can't have any air holes in it, and it's got to have the right minerality. It's got to have the right composition, as you say. So once you've bisque fired it, then it's ready for its design. Am I right? Yes, you're right. So and- how did we put the design on? Well, we're lucky. I work with um, my sister Kate and my brother and Hannah, and they're very creative. So it's mm. a true family business. Um, they're designers, and, and we we often they often go back through our archives. So what's popular now is a lot of um, studio glazes, which were recipes from our parents. And then we also oh, t- wow. yeah, yeah. We, we also listen to the chefs and, and to our customers a lot. So we we get them invite them out to the pottery and and listen to what they want, and then you know custom make to order or, or you know have some set ranges made for them. As, as have some of the, the very much the great and the good of the the industry, haven't they? Because we were talking, guys just talking about, I'm going, yeah, yeah, Samson, he's a lovely guy and I love the stuff. And as you say, there's uh, an association that goes back decades. Yeah. Uh, but you've also supplied to, what have we got? Um, I know Long Grain, uh, Vue de Monde, yep. some places overseas. Yep. Some yep. place in Las Vegas, was it? Yeah, our Bellagio, New York, we supply, so we're doing quite quite well in New York yeah. at the moment. Yeah, oh, right. yeah. I oh, know it's crazy, isn't it? For right. a little pottery. But we still haven't finished the plate that we yep. wanted to make. So we've bisque fired it. Um, you've got your sister and her design team, who then, uh, with in consultation with the people that she works with, that you work with, yes. they then put a glaze. Yes. Onto a plate, then what happens? It's fire, it goes it goes into a kiln again and it's fired at twelve hundred and forty, which is this is a really important point because Here we, go. we fire to twelve hundred and forty degrees so it's fully vitrified, which means nothing can penetrate and and it's quite strong, there's no water absorption. Um mm. uh, you could fire to eleven hundred degrees and it would look exactly the same. But. However, it would still have some water absorption inside it and it would break down over time and have some crazing and things like that on it. And this is... Uh, 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 let's finish the, the, the process. So then we've got that and then... Have you done the overglaze? So I was... Yeah, that... Yeah, that then that overglaze and yeah. then bang, it goes like that. So yes. we talk about something being super vitrified and if we look back at the history of plate making, I like... First of all, there's a lot of earthenware around and that isn't to the same degree or temperature to the degree, isn't it? No, it's not. I mean, you get lovely colours at lower temperatures. Um, mm. So the brighter colours tend to burn out at, at higher temperatures. But in hospitality, you kind of live and die by the quality. And if you have a plate that's And not, durability. Yeah, durability. Yeah. yeah. If, if you have something that breaks down, there's no way a guy would be saying that Sam's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, nice guy. My plates keep breaking and I want to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but the idea, and you will get this if you get a, um, a plate in your in your kitchen, folks. If you just get it, hold it up, and just sort of flick it, it should have a nice ting, shouldn't it? It should ring all the way around like a bell. Yeah, yeah. because that is because the heat has gone up, and all those molecules have just snuggled up together, and there's no room. Hundred percent. Yeah. Is that sort of it? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. like these yeah. these molecules are tired. Yeah, <laughs> and they're not letting anything in. No, no. And and that's sort of the idea of um, why you do something to that temperature. And is that sort of um, like if we look at sort of the history of of people eating off pottery? If we let's, let's do a little little bit of, of history. 
Um, is that because the, the technology in the early parts, we weren't able to get temperatures that high? No, there, there would have been. There would have been mm. temperatures that high. It was more to do with the decoration. So oh, right. bright reds and oranges and, and burgundies and colours like that would burn out at a higher temperature. Yep. yep. So the lower temperature you go, the more bright colour. So depending on the fashions and the time... That, that were around that the glazers would have been there was certainly some beautiful hotel wear being made out of um, the UK and rural Copenhagen and places like that um, which were extremely strong yeah and and fashions have changed I mean if we we look back uh, let's say to Victorian times um, a lot of the times you had these highly patterned places I, I think maybe for most people they can think in their minds about willow wear yeah blue white glaze uh, really intricate design isn't it and it kind of takes away from what you're putting on the plate. Yeah, it does. You've got to be really... When you're designing for chefs, you just want that plate to be a canvas. If we, if I go to a chef and I, and I have a design which is too overbid, it's just it detracts from what they're doing. It's not... You know, we just want to be subtly in the background and supply a beautiful, strong plate that, that it enhances in some way. You know, it's, it can't... It's not a show plate for us, if that makes sense. If when when I was a kid growing up, my parents made a big thing. I think they bought a whole bunch of um, Japanese crockery noritake. Oh, beautiful! Yeah, yeah but um, it was sort of these blues and yellows and these sort of circles going around, and kind of took away from the food a bit. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so for me, it sort of seems okay. So we went through the seventies, but along came in the nineteen eighties. The whole notion of the new cuisine, nouvelle cuisine. And one of the things that personified that was uh, big white plates with not much food on it. Um, But that was where we we first saw uh, that sort of thing as just the the beautiful uh, empty frame. That's sort of not a a good way to put it, but you know what I'm saying? yeah, it was um, – they still talk about it now because it, it could come back, but they talk about the invisible restaurant a little bit, so a plain white plate where everything in the restaurant's kind of white and uh, – Oh, know, the invisible yeah, restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. God, so, it's like the void of psych wall in, yeah, a, in yeah, a photographer's yeah, and studio. Then every, everything comes out and it's only about the food, which I yes. understand. And, yeah. and you know, um, yeah, pe- Not there's anything wrong with it. No, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, people like um, Morris Dezini in Sydney still do this. Like that's what he believes by and, and you know, hugely successful. But um, it might come back it, and, you know, it's certainly working for those guys, yeah. And so – where do you think – where are we now in the sort of the plate zeitgeist? <laughs> the plate design. Oh. Sorry, Matt. Matt's going to be shaking his head. Sorry, Matt. Yes, uh, where are we with plate design now? And it's really, really hard to generalise because you do all sorts of different things for different people. But We do. And, and, and what happens now, venues are spending millions of dollars on their fit-outs and, mm. they're, and they're themed appropriately. So Guy's Restaurant's a classical Italian restaurant and – he shouldn't go too far out the box with something crazy, you know. Mm. Like, when, but if you if you were talking to a, a you know, a, a, you know, a, a different style of restaurant, it's, what's in vogue now is is making sure you're customising to that particular chef and that particular venue. So, mm. um, it could be old studio glazes from the '60s and '70s right through to classic uh, willow wear, but pared down on the blue and white. So, yeah, right. old fashioned hotel wear is what I actually, you know, I love it. You know, so. One of my favourite venues is um, Fitzroy Town Hall, and, and that's just a classic yes. classic pub, and it's just got classic bistro wear, and it, and it suits the venue really well. How, can you sort of describe it for us? What does it sort of look like? Are they big plates, small plates? Yeah, they're, they're big plates. Because that was another thing that sort of evolved as the, the ebbed and flows is the actual diameter of the plates too, yeah? Yeah. Um, my mum, who, who came over from the UK and... Um, started Robert Gordon with Dad, um, her, one of the things she brought over was her dinner set from Royal Copenhagen and in that mix was a, a dinner plate and that dinner plate is 24 centimetres and so now a dinner plate for a standard restaurant is, is anywhere from 27 to 29 centimetres and okay. that's for the standard for home too so it's yeah. gone up quite a lot. But yeah. yeah, and back to the Fitzroy, sorry I cut you off with the uh, Fitzroy, can you describe the, the hotel wear that you designed for them? Yeah, it, it's, it's a classic heavy-duty bistro um, where so it's it's your traditional thirty five centimeter ovals with a nice big rolled edge on it with a with a classic green band. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, as opposed to like an organic plate or something like that. It, that design has been around for 
you know, hundreds of years. It's just, it, it, I don't think it'll ever go out of fashion. I had a restaurant called CJ's a million years ago at the Flagstaff Hotel, and we had Bristol, Bristol, yeah, Bristol, yeah, Bristol and yeah. we had a green band around. Exactly it's the exactly same. same. Yeah, God, yeah. it's funny you said you just brought back memories. But you guys uh, make, uh, create in Pakenham on, yes. the, on the way to to Gippsland yes. out there. Uh, and something great has come that's uh, that's added to the offering that you have. Not only can you walk out with a plate, you can come in and and eat off a plate too. Yeah, Pakenham's a, a great little town, and it, it's it's um, certainly a growth corridor of Melbourne. And we just felt we had to offer more at our factory outlet, and yeah. and you know, a, a restaurant or a cafe is, is what we've done. And it's just a good quality, um, honest, honest fare. Um, we've got a great chef in there, Chris Henderson. Um, and also you can paint a plate and decorate a plate and come back a week's time and pick up a plate too. So, yeah. How – okay, so first of all, um, Chris is doing actually really some awesome food because I had a look at some of the shots and it's, it's not just a pie on a plate. No, oh, no, it's not even it is a pie a, floater. If, if it is a good pie, it comes from Raymond Capaldi. It's the best pie in the business. So. Oh, well done. <laughs> Raymond's in the green room, just so you know why that. But, yeah, Raymond makes maybe the best pies in Melbourne. But um, all sorts of really, really – there's some, some interesting food going there. Yeah, and it, it's just really good quality too. He uses the best eggs. It's a brunch and, and lunch menu um, – and we're evolving the menu a little bit. We've been open for a month and we're still finding our feet a little bit, but the quality is fantastic, yeah, what he's bringing. I love the fact that you can go in there. Kids can um, get a bisque-fired plate and yes. go crazy with the glazes. Yes. And and do all that sort of stuff. Is there – how much does that cost, by the way? How much does a plate uh, cost? A plate will, will cost between the $12 and $15. That's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. Yep. Um, and – Say they can't make it out to Pakenham the week after. Can you send it to them? Or is there, yeah, is there can, a provision we, to do that? Yeah, absolutely. We can oh, always arrange cool. it. That's, that's All right. fine. But um, the great thing is uh, come for the the plates and uh, the great history that has gone into it and the thought and all those different actions. Can we just repeat again? To get from a lump of clay to a plate, how many different actions are there around about? About 12. About a dozen. Yeah, yeah about yeah. a dozen. Yeah. So you just look at that plate in a different light and be uh, give thanks that uh, not everything is made in China and that's that's kind of a nice thing and that's a good feeling that I get from uh, the end of the show today and, no, the, and the fact that you were there but also the fact that you've got a new chef, Chris Henderson, who's um, doing really beautiful food. How do we find you online? Uh, com. Yeah. That'll get it. Or Robert Gordon and Pottery. Yeah, will. Robert Gordon Pottery will be fine. Um, the yeah. magic of the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's good. Triple R. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm in Berlin. And across from me, who do I see but Raymond Capaldi. Raymond Capaldi, a very good day to you. Good day. How are you doing, Cameron? Good to see you. Been oh. too long. What are you doing out here? Well, you know, I just uh, decided to, to give up the, uh, the restaurant trade and come into food manufacturing. Mm. I, I believe the, we, we started off, we're starting off doing pies, you know. I started doing a pie, I was doing consultancy, and I designed this pie for a, a pub group uh, because I went into each of the pubs and they're all doing terrible pies. So, and then I got someone to start making them for me. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, I should get into this full time. And uh, decided that I'd come into to the pie business. And then start making other things for chefs because the chef shortage is very uh, coming is always well, here you know the chef shortage so a lot of people are time poor yes uh, a lot of chefs are under stress so it's good to, uh, time of year time to come into this kind of business i think so let's just backtrack a little bit where was the last place that you cooked for just people that don't know who you are or haven't heard you before and yeah. um, and and what you've been doing well, I was at Herring Grace. Herring Grace did just at the bottom of the Rialto there, which was a very busy place. We were there for about six years. It was only supposed to be a two-year pop-up, but mm-hmm. we continued it for six years until they started doing the renovations. And then uh, Rialto bought us out, the business, uh, which was very good. And I, then... I remember you had a bit of a smile on your face. <laughs> that, that, that smile's come back yeah. and the eyes are twinkling. <laughs> <laughs> it has. It was, it was a good day. Uh, I mean, look, we worked hard and the business was good, so we, we did... What we got, we deserved, and and uh, 
basically we I took a sort of two year hiatus just to enjoy my life and mm. and uh, search for something that I wanted to get into. Oh, I, I love the, the the fact that hair and grace and and also your um, your career arc that you know I've been a privilege to be able to to watch. Um, has been sort of, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, I sort of see you as one of the godfathers of molecular cuisine in this city. And Heron Grace was a great exponent of that, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean... It was we, the ultimate expression of your your cooking in that, yeah, in that sphere. Look, at Phoenix, we've done the molecular gastronomy, and I think uh, then we continued on Heron Grace and then started to use some of these new techniques into, mm. into traditional food mm. and making traditional food and asking ourselves questions why, you know, in nine, say maybe in the 1900s they did it this way because this wasn't out uh, and now in, in the 20th century we need to change the way we're thinking about how we do things. And there's a lot of uh, techniques we've done which we actually are now trying to bring into the pie world. And this is the question that, yeah. that I asked, that, you know, you've been going at this cutting edge of looking and understanding food. Yeah. And I'm wondering about... And you did some really wonderful, some avant-garde sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I'm just wondering how you sort of use all that knowledge and all those techniques to do something as simple and basic as a yeah. pie. And you're yeah. probably going to say, Cam, it's not that simple. Yeah, exactly, you just answered what I was going to say straight in my mouth. Uh, a pie is not simple. A pie is very, uh, it's a very complex thing when you look at it, and, and, and it's to get consistency in that pie. It's very, very, uh, it's very hard. It's, it's not as simple as people think. Let's look at it as a simple yeah. thing, and then you can tell me, then you can wag your finger at me and yeah, go, no, yeah, Cam, yeah, it's not. Yeah. Because, okay, at its, at its very simplest, it is a filling encased by pastry that you put in the oven and it goes brown. Yeah, that's... Yes, I mean, look, that, that is a part, but then you, you, you got to... You know, if you go full puff pastry in a pie, you feel it's too heavy. Uh, I always... People say to me, are you gourmet? Are you sustainability? I say, look, a pie should always be sustainability anyway because you're using all the off-cuts, which are really the great cuts, yes. off the meat and the pie. And we're all chunky pie here. I'm not gourmet, I'm not sustainability, I'm just a good pie for the price. That's what we always say. We're not going for gourmet, we're not going for sustainability, we're, ju- we're, just, we're not following trends, we're just trying to make a, the best pie at a good price. You don't want to fall into those traps, by the sounds of it. Yes, I don't want, I don't want to, I, I don't, I just, you know, all this sustainability and all this, this uh, going back to the producers and growers and all that, I mean, that's what a chef was, it's, it's not new. You know, all this new fad words and all this new fandango, uh, I'm a local producer. I mean, that's what, that's what you do as a chef. And you, you make sure that everything that comes into your kitchen, you use up, you know. Manufacturing is a bit different, but we try and use everything that we, uh, we, we use when it comes in, like from the apple pie, from the peelings, we make the, the compote. And then that compote gets mixed with raw apple apples to give the apple pie that bite when you get into the apple pie it gives you that acid that's sour the sweet you, you know it's all that stuff in that apple pie so in, in our techniques for when when looking at the pie i thought and when i got into the business how hard could it be to do pies it's just a bloody pie yeah. come on but but <laughs> it's very hard to do the pies what, what was the, okay so what was when you did this what was the first but that just sort of hit you like a brick wall and went oh well, it's, it's basically consistency and making sure that your your pastry is right and making sure that uh, uh, the fillings are right and, and getting that match and getting that, that real consistent flavour into your pies mm. and, and making sure that you, you what you like in a pie, that everybody likes in a pie. You know, we're just about to start up this... Uh, uh, ask our customers if they would like to sit in a panel. So we're looking for eight people to sit in a panel because we're going to bring out some new different flavours and pies that we need to make sure and still go back to the traditional uh, chunky beef mm-hmm. and and ask and, and take the vote from eight people to see where we stand because we want to keep progressing. Even though it's a simple pie, there's, there's lots of little techniques in the pastry we need to look at. Mm. And, and that gets back to it. <laughs> Has there been any specific things that you've learned over the years of, I don't know, water baths? And oh, I won't go into all that. But the, the, using the, the the new way of looking at food to get back into that 
piece of pastry with a filling. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, there's there's lots of new ways now that we need to look at. You know, with the, with the pastry, with gluten free, there's there's uh, relaxers, there's uh, new. Uh, like, what's a, what's a relaxer? Well, it's a thing that goes into pastry that if you if it doesn't need to sit there for a long time, it can oh, relax. It relaxes but, the gluten yeah, so the that gluten, when you yeah. when you roll something, yeah, yeah. you've you've got to let it sit so that the re- yeah. the the gluten can relax because otherwise, if you use it too soon. That's when you just get this shrinky, shrinky shrinky pastry, and that's what we try and do. But we're trying to use a natural product rather than a chemical man man made product. So we're looking at a lot of different things for that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, one of the first things that you worked out, as you said before, that if you make a pie completely out of puff pastry, it doesn't sit well. It doesn't. For me, it doesn't sit well. It doesn't sit well for me in 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 the pie warmer. And that's what you got to look. We 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 take a we we take a lot of uh, study. We we we're just about to do, uh, build our uh, product development kitchen, which we'll have a chef in there. And that's all he'll be doing is pr- practicing fillings, pastries, making sure all the, all the new stuff is online. But he'll be going to the shops because we 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 go to the shops. We just don't supply a person when they ring up and say, "Oh, we want to use your stuff." We go and ask them, "Well, what are you doing with it? How are you?" Presenting it because sometimes, in the airport, for instance, we colour the pie a little bit more for the presentation. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone else, if they're heating them up in a restaurant, will we'll colour it, colour it. Oh yeah, because less. because yes, because yeah. they can do it. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they can do it. So we try and look at all that that side of it to make our, our product that little bit more special, mm. and, and and to make sure that we've tested it in that, that pie warmer that that pie can stand up for two hours in a pie warmer. And it's all it's all natural stuff. It's all mm. good, good stuff. It's all good flour. It's all good good lard and all that sort of stuff. But it can stand in there. If you got puff pastry, and all puff pastry, it starts to weep. It starts to get greasy. It starts to get because uh, all that all that butter has to yeah. break free yeah. somewhere, yeah. doesn't it? And then it starts to split and get rancid. Yeah. So we try and keep that that uh, temperature in the pie warm and give people training how to use that pie pie warm to get the best of the pie. So, yeah. You know. Okay. Um, um, gotcha. And so it, it's sort of if you have something in a in a pie warmer, it would seem you're thinking about water content and moisture yeah. in in that in that pie, and how long it can take that yeah. before the yeah. moisture content's gone. Yeah. And uh, yes, that's it exactly. And that's why we put in more lard into our pastry yes. than normal, so that it doesn't dry up in these in this situation. Because it's very important that the customer gets the pie how you want them to get the pie. You know what I mean, and, and we want to make sure it's crispy, not soggy, and you're not getting that rancid split butter on your tongue. You know, I think it's very important that uh, puff pastry, yeah, put puff pastry on top, but if you've got to sit in a warmer for more than 20, 20 30 minutes, I think you can't, you, you can't do it. So that's why we do a rough lard puff pastry on top and a short crust on the bottom. Short crust on the bottom. All right, so for those at home, and we want to find out where um, we can obviously get your pies because that's kind of important, but yeah. for listeners that are at home and it's it's Sunday, Arvo, and they're, and they're thinking, well, maybe I should have a go at making a pie. Yeah. What would be your advice to them? First of all, it's got to be love. You know, you've got to put a lot of love into it. You've got to make sure all your uh, your, your butter or lard, whatever you're using, is at room temperature. It's, it's, it's a good, uh, so, sorry, it's it chilled. Yes. So, so you're not overworking your pastry. Yes. Uh, you don't want a lot of gluten to get into there. So you want uh, that butter to be that. It's yeah, that beautiful yeah, elastic yeah. part of where, yeah, where the butter exactly. is. You want and, it. And that. You want to mix it. You want to mix it by hand. And we we got big machines here, but we have got yeah. machines that will mix it. And we we only take it to a certain point where there's big lumps of lard in your pastry. Because yes. the time you roll it and all that sort of stuff, you can still see speckles of the the lard in that pastry. You don't want to completely not see lard or butter in that pastry. It has to be chunks. This reminds me of American pie dough, yeah. where they do that, where you you yeah, do you, yeah, you specifically yeah. don't want to mix through, no. and you want to see those specs. Yeah, yeah. So you first of all, you need a good formula because yeah. you can't do this just. Oh yeah, today I'll put a, another cup of yeah, flour yeah. because it is a formula. Yeah. Um, so you have your pastry, hopefully two different types. Fillings, fillings advice for that you know fillings it's always got to be look, I always say you've got to be you got to be uh, a pie has got to stand up for you to walk along the road eating a pie that doesn't fall straight into the bottom of the bag you know what I mean it's if you're riding a bike you should be able to eat a pie and it's not going to fall all over you it should just be you're, you're eating the pie 
the mixture, the ratio mixture to the to the pastry, to the pie, to the yeah. sauce, chunky, seventy five percent beef, rest is the gravy, rest is the vegetables, and you've got to be eating the pie and it stands together. Raymond, I'm just having this vision of riding a bike and eating a pie and it sort of seems a recipe for disaster. <laughs> well it's not if it's a good made pie, you know. Okay, and keep, keep and that way you can that way yes. you can you have the, yes. the um you can keep your eyes on the road while you're eating yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly it. and just enjoy the pie, you know, enjoy enjoy the moment. And then make sure you get one of the make sure you get one of the squeezy uh, uh tomato sauce things so you can just squeeze it as you go along. Beautiful and and life is good. Okay, yeah. so there you go. There's a, 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 it's yin and yang. It's exercise while eating a pie, so yeah. it's calorie neutral yeah. too, yeah. which I, I suppose is good. Also, the lid on the top of that pie, mm-hmm. it's got to be shiny, doesn't it? It's, it's got to look good. Got, look, I, I call it the French mahogany. You know the lacquer. Yeah, you know the French yeah, yeah. mahogany look. You know, I mean, look, if we if we colour the pies like they did in Paris, people say they're burnt. You know what I mean? So we take our pie to a certain, to a certain colour, and we, we I call it the mahogany, uh, which is a double egg glazed, double egg yolk glaze, and in that glaze is is a little bit salt, touch of water, just to, so it doesn't flake. Mm, not but milk. Not milk, water. Oh, why, not, why, why not milk? Because milk, milk gives it that little. Uh, it'll give it that little uh, dull. It'd be a bit more dull and not have that shine, you know? I've just learned yeah, something because yeah. I've always done my egg wash has yeah. always been egg um, egg yolk yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and milk. And, yeah. and then I wonder why it doesn't... Well, there's all different types. You know? No, there's, but that makes sense. cream, there's you, egg. But, but there's, you, say, yeah, yeah. you say water, do that because this is the thing. And you said double glazed. How, yeah, how do double we do glazed. the double So basically you, you egg, egg yolk it, only egg yolk, egg yolk, salt and water. Yeah. Egg yolk it once, yeah. in the fridge for 20 minutes, bring it back out, egg yolk it again in the fridge for about another 10 minutes till it sets, then into the, uh, into, the, into the oven. But make sure that before you egg yolk it, that every bit of flour is off that pie. Because if you don't get every bit of flour off that pie before that egg yolk goes on, it starts to shred and it starts to flake. Really? So you don't want it, you don't want it flaking. So it has to be every bit of flour off the pie yes. before you egg yolk it. Do you hear that, folks? That was a real. That's that's a really big tip, and yeah. uh, Raymond have to might have to kill me as uh, as I'm <laughs> leaving because that, that seems like a bit of a trade secret. Raymond, it's interesting with people in their lifetime of cooking that you know you come in and you want to change the world and you want to explore new things, but then after a while you just go, look, bugger that! I just want a really really nice piece of fish. Yeah. Or I don't know whatever it is. How has it been for you? I mean, do you? What sort of food do you crave now? And are you eating? What's you know how how is how is your sort of perception of food and what you really enjoy changed? Yeah, look, I, I can't do the big degustation food now. You know what I mean? It's just I just I cannot sit in a restaurant long enough now. I just want a good three course meal. Uh, I, I'm very I like Japanese because it's, it's simple. I like uh, Chinese because it's something simple as well. Yeah. I just like that kind of food now. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's fresh. It's the best. Uh, Dare I say it? If I'm going to put words in your mouth, Raymond Capaldi, but it is um, ingredient driven rather than technique driven to an extent. To an extent, yeah, yeah see, but there's always that, that you know, and, and and that's what and that's what hearing grace was all about. It was a, the technique was more behind the scenes, but the what went on the plate was very simple. But the technique to get there isn't, yeah. and that was given making sure. And look, the technique is you make make sure if you pick a pick a, a carrot out of the ground, it's the best carrot you taste. It's funny. Uh, I was thinking about a carrot dish that you did yeah. when you you were talking about that. Yeah. Yep. And, and and you just make sure. And if you if that carrot's not tasting good, or that bunches of carrots are not tasting good, you got to be you got to put a technique in there that's got. To, you know, you either juice the fresh carrot juice and and roll it in some fresh carrot juice so it gets that taste and bring it back, because vegetables are are, are, na- are natural. They're they're you know. And, but you've got to play to the. It's it's like you play to the music and you got to put put that note in if it's not going to match. Yes. So you got to put that note in to make sure it flows perfectly, and that's what you do with with vegetables. So it's all vegetables are not perfect, mm. so you got to you got to make sure that you understand that product. Yes, and it's not just doing the technique for the sake of it. Where I got caught when I was training, I used to do t- things because Such I thought as. I thought it was groovy. Oh, you look, you're you're. Uh, 
You know, when we talk about molecular gastronomy, we, you know, there's a few Frankenstein dishes there that you you, you are not proud of. But look yeah. at look at the end of the day, some some good things came out of that, and you under, and you understood the food a lot better. And 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 nowadays you you understand why and, and why it's not happening, and uh, and and that's what the good things about it. And that's but again, keeping to the keeping true to the the product. Mm. You know what I mean, and that's that's what a chef is. So all this new foraging and all this people people go on about it's nothing new. But that's what chefs should be doing in the first place. Mm. It's that's what a chef's job is. If you are going out, just as a, a little recommendation, have you been enjoying going out to um, any restaurants and places that you really love or places that you really admire what they're doing? Yeah, I, I, look, Ryan for me. I mean, Donovan Cook's uh, one of the best cooks ever. Uh, it, they're still finding the groove there. It's still a young business, but you know, another one for a quick, really good food is Rumi. I love mm. Rumi. I love that Lebanese, simple, uh, fresh, clean food. Uh, and, and I was at uh, Port Phillip, uh, and that was fantastic food there as well. I, I try to go to places, and I look at menus, and, and I can really tell by pictures on the website if it's got to be good or got to be played around with. And I really should get. What do you look for when you're looking at a picture of a food? Uh, I just look like uh, I look for something different but simple, not overworked. And you can usually tell if it's overworked that you don't want to go there. You know what I mean? And you can read by the, by the, by the menu that you don't want to go there. And that's what I usually do. I try and do a bit of research before I go there. But my, my favourites at the minute is Ryan and Rumi. I always go to Rumi. It's, a, it's an old classic to fall, fall back on mm. and it's great food. All right, let's, uh, let's just get a little plug out for the pies. Um, the name of the pies are? Wonder Pies at 4B Kim Close in Berlin. Well, it's, uh, it's great to, uh, to talk to the Scottish pieman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a change it's, it's been. And, um, and, my God, I've, I don't think I've ever seen you look so relaxed, to be quite honest with you. you, you That's because you're here. You relax me. Oh, OK. <laughs> and, you, and you haven't had enough coffee yet, obviously. I've had yeah. the coffee. Raymond, congrats. May your pies multiply and prosper and may we see them in a lot of different places. Thank you very much. Good to see you again, Cam. Raymond Capaldi from uh, Wonder Pies. You can just look him up online. If you want to try a pie, highly recommended. Thanks also to uh, Sam Gordon from Robert Gordon Ceramics, Robert Gordon Australia, and Alberto Fava from Tipo Double O. Uh, I think we're back to normal next week, but in the interim, if you do have the ability to get on down to the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival or the Comedy Festival or anything else, it's just good to see people in the city after the couple of years we've had. Uh, coming up next on Triple R, Alex has got some he's got some music for your ear holes, and then after that, JVG's Radio Method. So stick around, uh, and we'll be back to normal next week. My name is Matt Stedman. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you again soon. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 